The following is a recorded program of a live show. Please do not call in, but feel free to send messages on our WhatsApp line at 876-283-9533. Love for all, hatred for none. Did you know that Muslims believe in one God and also believe in Jesus and all biblical prophets? Statistics show Islam is the fastest growing religion, yet one of the most misunderstood religions. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community presents on every Sunday from 4 to 5 p.m. Tune in for an interactive program to remove misunderstandings and answer your questions about the Muslim faith. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community located at the Mahdi Mosque, Bush Park, Old Harbor. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين إهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا In the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Merciful. All praise belongs to Allah, Lord of all the worlds, the Gracious, the Merciful, Master of the Day of Judgment. Thee alone do we worship, and Thee alone do we implore for help. Guide us in the right path, the path of those on whom Thou hast bestowed Thy blessings those who have not incurred thy displeasure and those who have not gone astray assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu may the peace and blessings of god be unto you hello dear listeners welcome once again to the ahmadiyya muslim community here in jamaica with your usual program educating the general public on issues questions and also concerns and all that you need to know about the religion of Islam. I am your host, Imam Ibrahim Fawson. This program is sponsored by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Jamaica. And for the sake of the new listeners who might have joined us today, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is one of the over 70 denominations in Islam which believes in the advent of the reformer of the age in the person of His Holiness Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, may peace be unto him. Spread across over 200 countries, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community rejects any form of violence against God's creation. Our motto has always been love for all and hatred for none. In the course of today's program, as usual, if you want to send in your questions or if you want to add your voice to the program, please do so via WhatsApp and the number is 876-283-9533. Today on the program, we are looking at the Islamic mode of dressing, that is the Islamic clothing, usually as Muslims 
when we go out to preach, this is one of the common questions and observations people who are not affiliated with the religion of Islam raise. They would want to know as to whether Islam prescribes a very strict uh, mode of dressing for Muslims. For this reason, I have invited Imam Abdul Basit, who is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Ecuador, who is going to help discuss what the Islamic code of dressing is. Imam Abdul Basit, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu, and welcome to our program. Wa alaikum salam. Um, Jazakla for the invitation. So today, as I said, we are looking at the Islamic clothing, and I always say that within the Caribbean, particularly here in Jamaica, most of the, I mean, a large proportion of the uh, population are not Muslims. So some of these, uh, you know, topics may be very strange to them. Sometimes they only know about what they hear in the media, what they see others do either in the media, and they target with Muslims in general. When we say the Islamic clothing, what are we talking about? Does Islam specify um, some form of clothing for Muslims? Uh, when we speak about uh, clothing in Islam, it's very common, this, mis mis this misconception, that the, the Muslims, the Muslim women in, in especial, uh, that they are oppressed uh, because they have to cover themselves up and uh, they, can't, they cannot go outside without, without these, clothing, these, these coverings. But um, as you said, uh, you're from Jamaica, I am from Ecuador. There are Muslims in both these countries. Uh, in fact, there are over 1 billion Muslims in, in the world. Uh, Actually, one one point eight billion Muslims across the ex world. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, one point eight billion Muslims in the world, and and when we talk about this this uh, population, somewhere in Canada, somewhere in in South America, somewhere in Europe, uh, we have to understand that the climates of these countries and regions are different. These people are very different. Their their culture, their their family backgrounds are very different. So. Islam, in reality, doesn't specify any specific type of clothing. But what Islam does is, being the perfect and universal religion, Islam presents us with a code of conduct. It presents us with a philosophy. Uh, this philosophy is for us uh, to learn how to properly dress ourselves and uh, why we should wear certain clothing. As Muslims, we derive our source of guidance from the Holy Quran and also the teachings of the Holy Prophet Muhammad which is categorized as the Hadith. Does the Quran make mention of uh, Islamic clothing? You said Islam does not prescribe any fixed clothing for Muslims in general, but then it gives an idea what Muslims should you know, be like in terms of dress. Does the Holy Quran make mention of what Muslims should wear? Okay. Uh Islam emphasizes the relationship between our physical body and our spirituality. Yes. So in the Holy Quran, in chapter 7, verse 227, God Almighty states, We have indeed sent down to you raiment to cover your shame and to be an elegant dress, but the raiment of righteousness 
that is the best. Okay, so what we understand from this verse of the Holy Quran is that the clothing that we wear must cover the nudity of the body. It must be elegant. It shouldn't matter what style of clothing we have, how expensive, how cheap it is. The important part is the piety and righteousness that it shall that it should instill in ourselves. For example, the clothing we wear should reflect our piety. It should our attitude that we show in these clothes should reflect our righteousness and fear of God. Uh, so, so further on, we can get into the details of uh, what type of clothing it should be. Uh, Islam says that the clothing should be loose. Uh, it should cover the figure of the body, and it should not uh, show it off. Okay, it should be uh, very pious. Let's look at this general misconception as I alluded to in the beginning that when people see people who are Muslims, basically when non-Muslims see Muslims either on the television with certain dress code, they tend to assume that that is what all Muslims are instructed to wear. Does culture bring onto the table this kind of topic basically does it vary as muslims as you mentioned there are muslims in china muslims in indonesia muslims in africa and you know does that that the weather and the climatic conditions affect the dress code of course uh, this this does uh, affect the teachings uh but uh, if you look at the holy quran and we look to the the teachings that the quran gives us some people may not know this but the first commandment of the veil is in fact to the muslim men and not the women no it's interesting to note uh, in chapter 24 verse 31 uh, it states say to the believing men that they restrain their eyes guard their private parts this is purer for them and then following verse is the commandment for the women it says for the women that they should restrain their eyes and guard their private parts uh, and they and that they disclose not their natural and artificial beauty except that which is apparent thereof, and that they draw their head coverings over their bosoms, and that they disclose not their beauty save to their husbands. So the, the, this verse goes on to state how uh, the Muslim women should uh, cover themselves in front of uh, people who are not their family, or not their relatives. But from both of these verses, we see that both men and women are instructed to cover up not just the women yeah not just the men it's it's in it's a teaching it's a commandment for both of them not just to cover up that's the first step the second step is to be modest to be chaste no this is a responsibility for both of them but then when we look towards the the uh, uh the minimum level of clothing that a muslim should wear now if we speak to, uh, in regards to men we find in the teachings of the, of islam that a Muslim man, the minimum level of clothing for him is to cover basically the part from the belly button to his knees. This is the minimum that a Muslim man must do. Okay. Yes. And the minimum for women, Muslim women, is to cover their private parts, arms and legs. And as I said in the verse that, as it mentioned in the verse, to cover their hair and their chest with a veil. But we know that in certain some circumstances, uh, uh, for even for Muslim women, it isn't entirely 
optional to fully cover themselves. For example, if they're working on a farm, you know, it, it's yeah. very difficult to, to be fully covered. So Islam does give us this permission to, to work, and, but it tells us what the minimum level standard is. For the person who is listening to us and of course might have seen some images on television and has that kind of notion that this is what Muslims look like. You are trying to say, or you're giving them the message that Islam does not prescribe any particular um, type of dress, style, in terms of style. However, it encourages modesty. So whatever a person wears, once it covers the rule of modesty, that person can be said to be a Muslim. And a Muslim is not determined by the type of clothes you wear. Exactly. So uh, again, the teachings of Islam state to cover yourself and to start instilling the, the teachings of modesty in your heart. We would come to, you made, you made mention of the veil. And um, I believe we would come to that later and, um, you know, delve deep into it because it is a topical issue nowadays. And it's been, I think, it's been the case for quite some, some decades in some part of the Western countries. But um, when we look at the dress code, does one have to be a Muslim to dress modestly? Because usually when it comes to conforming to decent dress and as you use the word modest, you know, dressing, people look up to Muslims. And I have seen in instances, I mean, where, you know, a person would dress, a Muslim would dress in a particular way, and a non-Muslim will quickly say, no, Muslim, as a Muslim, you're not supposed to dress like that. And, um, you know, they say that to look down upon the type of dress the Muslim is wearing. Being a Muslim, they expect him to have a specific, you know, type of modesty. Do the previous religions also make mention of dressing and how, you know, human beings in general have to dress in order not to expose our, you know, um, hidden parts that are not supposed to be shown? Of course, we, we see in the Bible as well the story of Adam and Eve, you know, how they used to cover their naked bodies. Uh, modesty in reality is, is to have shame to not show one's body naked to other people, no? Um, uh, and what is decency? When, if one is trying to be decent, uh, they, sh they are trying to have pure thoughts. They are trying to have uh, righteous thoughts. They are trying to think uh, in religious thoughts. Uh, they're always trying to strive and get closer to God, right? So yeah. I believe these teachings are, are the same. Uh, if we see in the Bible or the story of Adam and Eve, how they were covering themselves out of shame, right? Uh, yeah. So this is an important quality, no? not just for Muslims. Everyone who follows or believes in God is always trying to attain his nearness. So this concept of modesty and decency is a very important quality for one's spiritual growth. And it's, it's, it's the only difference between Islam and the other religions is Islam emphasizes it more for both okay. men and women. To be honest, it's been an, an issue that in most cases when you go out to you know have interaction with the general public, it is an issue that comes up over and over. A person will be surprised to see you dressed in, you know, a shirt and, and, and a tie, suit and tie, 
and then saying we're well, Muslim, and they'll be surprised. But you know, you should be wearing some gown, you know, long one with your beard in a particular style, you know, with something wrapped over your head to indicate you are a Muslim. What brought about that conception? For example, uh, if we were Muslims in, for example, in a country in Pakistan or India, we would be wearing the typical clothes of that country. Over there, it's very common for both Muslim men and women to wear uh, what is called a shalwar kameez. Okay. Uh, basically, this is just a trouser with a long shirt. Okay. Oh, for example, in, in, uh, in countries, in Arab countries, what they wear a, a long tunic, which is basically just a long shirt, which covers you from the body all the way to your ankles and toes. Okay. Sorry, your wrists, wrists and, and ankles. Uh, so this is just the difference in the culture and, and the region that one Muslim lives in. Uh, also, we see different types of hats, no? We see some Muslims with turbans. Yeah. Uh, we see some Muslims with round hats, some Muslims with tall hats, some Muslims with dark hats. Again, this is just a different of color, uh, different of uh, the difference in the, in the country someone lives in. So there's no restriction. There's no f- teaching. This is just the impact of the, the Muslims culture, the family background. For example, myself, I'm, I'm from Pakistan. Yes. Yeah. So, Normally, I, I do not wear the shalwar kameez, no, with the long shirt and, and, the, and the trousers, which is traditional to be worn in Pakistan. Uh, because I, I'm living in Ecuador, you know, uh, I, wear, I wear a t-shirt, I wear, I wear a dress shirt and tie and suit. Because, again, the Islam teaches modesty. If I'm wearing, a, whether it's clothes from Pakistan or clothes from the United States, as long as my intentions are to be modest, my clothing covers me. This is the true teaching that Islam gives us. That's, that's, that's interesting. And um, Imam um, Abdul Basit, thank you very much, of course, for what you have taken us through. And um, if for our listeners, if you just joined us, you are listening to the Ahmadiyya Muslim program, educating the general public on issues that they need to know and also the concerns, questions being answered. Today we are looking at the Islamic clothing for Muslims and uh, we're trying to remove some of the misconceptions and also educating the listeners that Islam does not prescribe any you know, style of dressing for Muslims. However, what Islam prescribes is a decent clothing or a modest clothing which does not expose one's you know nakedness provided you wear something um that you know covers you properly whether you are in asia or you are in africa you are in arabia and other places you still are a muslim and being a muslim does not confine you to wearing something that an arab wear we have noticed imam um abdubasit that as you mentioned, the geographical location of people has a lot to do with the type of dress they wear. So, for instance, in the Middle East, where you know they have a lot of desert and dust almost everywhere, it is common to see people wearing something that you know is very straight 
tying their hair. Sometimes they tie and leave just a little bit of their eyes when they are on the desert in order not to have you know dust all over their bodies. So it will be um, completely out of space for a person who is in a place where you know there isn't much dust as you might have in other places to also dress the same way. Equally, a person who is in a place where the weather is cold should dress in a way that is not going to expose them to sickness, feeling cold and other things. However, you cannot replicate the same thing to a, play, a person living in a hot area. So Islam takes into consideration all these, you know, factors. And as you said, the dress you wear does not, um, you know, make you a Muslim or non-Muslim. However, the only thing is that the dress should be modest. Let's come to Imam um, um, Abubasid. Let's come to the veil. It is a very important topic, and anytime we mention the veil, a lot of controversy, you know, comes up with regards to it. What is the veiling system in Islam? If somebody is now listening to us for the first time. Of course. So the veil in Islam is basically meant to protect the woman. As I explained earlier, uh, the first commandment is to the Muslim men to lower their eyes and to cover their bodies. The second commandment is for the women to also lower their eyes and cover their bodies. Correct? Yeah. But we know that between men and women, there is a natural attraction. Yes. Now, Muslim men are commanded to first restrain those eyes. But the Muslim women are commanded as well not to tempt other men. Okay? For example, Muslim women, when, they are t uh, when the commandment is given in the Quran to cover their veil so that they may cover their head and, and their chests, correct? Uh, and in addition to this, the Muslim women are not supposed to put on very strong makeup or perfume because this, this again goes against the teachings of the Islamic veil. Because in, in addition to modesty, one shouldn't attract other people's attention for no reason, correct? Could you, could you, um, you know, clarify that please? When you say a Muslim woman is not... Um, permitted or allowed or it's not recommended to use a very strong perfume yes a very, a very strong perfume or to putting on a lot of makeup what is the reason for this you know it's for people to be attracted to to this makeup and to this fragrance uh it muslim muslims are supposed to wear you know uh, sweet smelling fragrance uh, especially for the Jumma, for the friday prayers but uh, when women are out in general public Right when they are amongst other strange men who they do not know, a Muslim woman should not have such heavy makeup or such heavy perfume to unnecessarily attract the attention of these people, no, and to attract the attention of other people. So the the guideline for the Muslim woman is to uh, not show their physical beauty to the other people. And I, I, I think the Holy Quran talks about um, Muslim women should, you know, not present themselves in a way that, you know, exposes their out, outward beauty 
to outsiders and you made mention to that also so you have given us an idea about the villain system and um you said it doesn't pertain to only women but then muslim men are also supposed to restrain their eyes and you said also that the the veil is to protect the woman against you know being molested and other you know um of course sexual harassment at advances and um, this is a very big issue in the western countries nowadays that i mean people file complaints against you know men particularly from the ladies side file complaint against men and a lot of men um, some men have you know lost their they've lost their integrity some are behind bars for sexual advances and other comments that they might have passed you know about ladies who are not their legitimate um, couples or wives and islam takes you know these steps so that the opportunities even don't come for the man to make advances or for you know the lady to be molested so in essence what you're saying is that the veiling system is to protect the woman and not to take her freedom away from her yes exactly uh, women are not uh, prohibited from going out of the house to work right uh now that you mentioned that uh, this this physical abusing aspect you know it's interesting to note that um there's some studies that have been done and it says that one in three women have been physically or mentally abused now uh, the the reasoning for the teachings of islam in regards to the veil are in reality to create a pious and just society for both men and women you know so yeah. so the the responsibility is for both men and women to not attract the opposite gender to not tempt the opposite gender to to the the quran says that the believers men and women should help each other they should enjoin in good and forbid evil to create this just society that so that everyone can live in peace so the veil isn't a a a sort of uh prohibition or a oppression it's in fact to create a freer society for everyone to live in peace and harmony thank you very much imam abdul basit for you know taking us through the islamic clothing system and i believe if we look you know we take a look at the creation of god the almighty almost everything has its own form of veiling system or clothing system with exception of of course the animals of the lowest class but even they have fear that human beings don't have and it is to provide them with that kind of um a cover so that they are not entirely exposed to the weather and other things and you look at fruits take for instance banana you wouldn't see a banana and for instance if you go to the market and you see banana which is already peeled it will not even attract you to buy um if you see a corn which is you know already peeled it doesn't attract so god has all these systems you know put in place so that we protect ourselves and don't uh, give ourselves unnecessary exposure particularly ladies because ladies are vulnerable when it comes to um such advances let's come to punishment we hear in the news um that some 
countries that purport to you know indicate that they are Islamic countries prescribe some form of punishment for women who do not dress in certain way. Does Islam prescribe such a punishment? Unfortunately, when we hear these news uh, coming from Muslim countries uh, about punishment or of uh, them doing something extreme, uh, we need to understand that what Islam teaches and what these countries are showing us are very different things. Because we must understand that Islam teaches something else, but what we see in these Muslim, so-called Muslim countries is they are acting, in some cases, exactly opposite of the, the, the Islamic teachings. So when we come to the Islamic veil, no, uh, it is a commandment from God for both men and women. But Islam also gives us the liberty to choose our faith. We have the option. There's no, there's no compulsion in religion. If someone wants to be a Muslim, a, a righteous Muslim, he wants to get closer to God, wants to create a connection with God, he wants to listen and talk to God, and he wants God to listen to his prayers, then that man or woman will begin to follow the teachings of, the, of Islam. And that includes the veil, right? Yeah. Now, it's not mandatory, of course, but if someone wants to be a true good Muslim, they will make it mandatory for themselves. So when we see things or we hear in the news that certain individuals or countries have, um, you know, instituted some system of punishment, becoming the police of people's, you know, way of dressing, you are saying that that is not Islamic. They can, for instance, if you see a person dressed in a particular way, which is not decent, the only thing you can do is to advise them. But then you are not given that kind of right to punish anyone because it is not instituted in Islam that anybody should be punished for their you know, style of dress. Uh, now, when we speak about Muslim countries, we, we have to understand that not 100% of the population is Muslim. Right. Yeah. We, we for these these Muslim countries, there there are Christians living there. There are there uh, uh, people of the Jewish faith living there. So they have their own teachings, and Muslims have their own teachings. Now, with your example of uh, if you see someone uh, who is not dressed decently, but you are a Muslim, what what is your what is your obligation? Islam teaches you to lower your gaze. Correct. Yeah. This means. You shouldn't be staring at this person walking by you. You should stay pious, you should stay righteous, you should stay God-fearing, and you should put your own veil on. Then this is your responsibility. This is your test. This isn't, it's not your responsibility to teach the other person to dress properly because uh, Islam teaches us to do, this, to, to, to do so. This is really uh, uh, the, the greatness of our religion that Islam teaches us and teaches us the philosophy of, of wearing decent clothes. The problem we have is that sometimes when certain secular laws conflict with the laws of a particular religion, people always raise hue and cry and, you know, serious um, objection. Let's look at in our general societies. You have indicated that Islam does not prescribe any punishment for anyone's you know mode of dress however 
we are only encouraged to admonish ourselves as to adopting you know the right path in our secular world if a person decides to go onto the street without wearing anything i believe whether we are in uk or canada or us and other places there are laws that can get the person behind bars provided the person is not declared as mentally you know ill however islam has given this soft admonition system that just admonish them and don't don't prescribe any form of punishment in essence it might be the case that those so-called muslims might be practicing those rules that exist in some western countries of course which has constitutional laws about uh, profanity and you know way of dress and if a person chooses to go onto the street naked they get punished they get fined and they get so it is not in islam however it is in our society that these laws do exist when you speak about this topic uh, even in islam for example uh, the only person that has this right to admonish some uh, a woman muslim woman would be for in the example of uh, a muslim father for his daughters right yeah. he can ask his daughters you should wear the veil this is for your protection or a, a muslim husband asking his wife to do so uh, apart from this there is no other permission f- for anyone to obligate a muslim woman of course we are we are still on the veil anytime the word veil is mentioned a person quickly refers to islam does the veiling system also exist in christianity particularly in the bible which christians are not you know paying attention to of course we see uh we we don't even need to reference anything right now because uh, uh, for example the virgin mary you know we see uh, a lot of those pictures and she's always wearing a head covering of some sort we see these nuns they're always covered in modest dresses with their head covered you know so this teaching is nothing new for just the religion of islam this was a teaching that was in uh in the previous scriptures as well i'll be glad if you could give some references because um you know some people would want to feel they want to see something before they believe so you are saying that um of course uh, you have given a clear example of the the mother of jesus christ may peace be upon him who anytime you see she is in veil she dresses very decently um the nuns as you said you know the, the the roman sisters those that are yeah those that are deemed highly spiritual within the christian setup you always see them veiled i mean covering themselves up however when a muslim lady does it she's been oppressed and you find it very difficult to draw the line between the oppression and the um elevation of status when the christian does the veiling when she walks on the street and she is identified she is identified as a christian instantly she has some kind of respect accorded her because she must be a, a nun or she must be a roman sister you know but then if the same person dresses and she is seen as a muslim she is either been oppressed or she doesn't have her freedom what is the difference i mean wh- why this injustice no for if we study the bible in in, in genesis in chapter 38 there is multiple mentions in in chap in, in the book of genesis in the book of exodus as well for example in, in chapter 38 verse 14 of the book of genesis uh, i'm quoting here and it says and she put her widow's garment off from her and covered her with, with a veil 
and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is by the way of Timnath, for she saw Saleh was grown and she was not given unto him to wife. Again, in another place, it's in Genesis, it says, And she arose and went away and laid her veil from her and put on the garments of her widowhood. So uh, the veil is a concept in the Bible that we can see. And it is, again, with the same teachings of modesty and decency. In Genesis chapter 24, we also see that uh, the quotation says that, uh, for she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. So this teaching is also similar to the Holy Quran. Because in the Holy Quran, it mentions that the Muslim woman as well should use the veil in front of foreign people. That means that when she is in the, her house, or when she is amongst other women, the veil isn't necessary. I think that should be clarified. So... In Islam, of course, for the I mean, non-Muslims who are not aware, when a lady is in her house, she is not obliged, she is not under any obligation to put on the veil. When she is among her fellow women, she is not under any obligation to cover her hair or to cover herself. But then if she comes into public space where she could likely be exposed to strange people, I mean men, so to say, that's where the veiling you know, is applicable. Exactly. Uh, this is also in line with the, how Muslims, how they have segregation. Men are in one place, women are in another place. This doesn't mean men and women are not equal. This just gives the Muslims, the Muslim women, the ease of not having to be covered up and to use the veil. Because if they're amongst other women, then they are free to take off their veil. And this also, you know, it... The verse you read from Genesis chapter 24, verse 64 to 65 confirms this, that when the lady, uh, Rebecca, was by herself, she did not have the veil on. And as we are saying that when Muslim women are in their homes, they are by themselves, they're not supposed to have the veil. But then when they come close to a stranger, I mean a, pub, a space where they could likely be exposed to a stranger, they might have, and, and then they have to put on the veil, just like Rebecca did when um, she saw the the man who was a stranger to her she quickly put on her veil and these references you give basically are in the old testament and uh, old testaments and usually as people who have been uh, having discussions with some christians in some cases when you cite examples from the old testament people say that is not applicable these days do you have some example about modesty and how to cover the hair and, you know, covering ourselves in the New Testament as well? We find in 1 Corinthians, uh, in chapter 11, verse 5 to 6, uh, in the New Testament now, uh, not just the Old Testament. So we find teachings of the veil. It says that, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved. Thus, let her cover her head. So now it's very clear in the Bible as well that both uh, that, uh, that the women should have their head covered with a veil of some sort. Thank you. Thank you very much, Imam Abdul Basit. And if you just joined us, you are 
with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community here in Jamaica and today we are looking at the Islamic clothing as to whether Islam prescribes a particular type of you know dress for Muslims across the world. Imam Abdul Basid who is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Ecuador and um, he's taking us through um, various important you know aspects of this topic by telling us that Islam does not um, prescribe any style of clothing however Islam encourages modesty so anything a Muslim wears regardless of their culture so long as it conforms to the rule of modesty and covers the private you know part and hidden parts which are not supposed to be shown that is okay and a muslim is not determined by the type of clothes they wear however we spoke about the veil and the veiling uh, covering the hair is something that the holy quran has urged muslim women and imam abdul basid is explaining that this imam is explaining that it is for the protection of the ladies and not to uh, subjugate them he also gave instances from the Bible where the veiling system is recommended for uh, women when they come to spaces where they might be exposed to strange men. And um, of course, he read from Genesis chapter 24, verse 64 to 65, and also in the New Testament, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5 to 6. Imam um, Abdul Basit, let's look at another important topic that usually comes up when we talk about the Muslim identity, that is the beard. Why do Muslim men usually have beard? And does the size of a beard a person um, you know, have determine how strong that person is in terms of being a Muslim? Uh, of course, this is a very good point. Uh, when we speak of Muslims and their identity, it is known that it's a known fact that Muslim men have beards. Uh, why is this so? Uh, the real reason, if we look back to the life of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, when we look to how he lived, he wore he he had a beard, and he also wore a turban. Now, both of these aspects were very personalized appearance this was this was very common amongst the men of that age in that country right but this uh, following this tradition muslims out of the love that they have for the holy prophets they too have beards and they too sometimes wear turbans before we get into that beard growth you know, it's very linked. It's been linked with both piety and manhood, you know, yeah. for thousands of years in, in every culture, every civilization, any part of the world. And in the in the wisdom of God, he did not let women have beard and he allowed men to have beard. And it is for a specific reason and purpose. Now, and when we study the Bible as well in, in Judaism, in Christianity, Ancient priests, they used to grow their beard. Yeah. They used to grow their beard long. And shaving it was a, shame of, was a sign of shame and dishonor. So Islam has followed this noble tradition 
And the Holy Prophet as well encouraged, he encouraged the growth of, uh, of the beard. He said that trim your mustache and grow your beard. So for, uh, from this tradition, uh, there's no fixed size of the beard. There's no fixed style. But uh, the Holy Prophet, he explained to us that the beard can be long, but the mustache has to be short. So you said there's no um, size, fixed size for the beard. Of course, then it's going to also mean that there's, there isn't any fixed length of it to determine a person is a Muslim. Because in the wisdom of God, as I stated, he gives beard to men and doesn't give it to women. As you said, in the olden days, and also the beard symbolizes uh, being, be, being a man. And um, the masculine, you know, aspect of a man is seen even from afar that this person is a man, a, a male. And um, if for the sake of following the, the practice of the Prophet Muhammad who kept beard, if a Muslim keeps beard, that is okay. But then if a Muslim does not have it, particularly if you go to some geographical locations um, in you know, far east, China and Japan, it is quite, you know, little. And that does not mean that if you don't have it, you are not a Muslim. What you have, you keep it neat. That is also very important. You keep it neat and you don't shave it entirely for no reason. However, if you have some kind of a medical condition which does not permit you having it, of course, you can still be a Muslim. And shave it but then if you don't have any medical condition then it is good that you keep it but even if you shave it that is between you and you know your choice and also um, the regard you have for the Prophet and also the regard you have for your faith but that does not take your being a Muslim away from you what about the turban you you hinted about on, on, on it a while ago Yes, again uh, the Holy Prophet used to wear this so, turban so. And uh, like I said, this was a, a common practice amongst the Arabs at that time. Uh, even now, in today's day and age, we see in, in the Arab culture, they're always having a head covering of some sort, men. And uh, uh, the turban is, is, is in fact just a, a form or a sign of spirituality wisdom. Uh, this is, I think, the exact reason why uh, our, the founder of our community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, salam, he, he wore a turban. Our, his successors, all the khulafa, all the caliphs of the community, they wear turbans because it is a sign of spirituality. So, in essence, I think I forgot to ask you this, that uh, the beard, keeping beard is not mentioned in the Holy Quran, specifically, nor the turban. But then, if a Muslim does it, he's doing it because the Prophet and the prophets of, I mean, um, old, that is Prophet Abraham, Prophet Moses, and almost all the prophets, they are known to have kept their beard. And if a Muslim does it, he's doing it in honor and also as, as a symbolic expression of giving respect and following the steps, I mean, the, the footsteps of the Prophet. Thank you very much, Imam Abdul Basit. Let's look at jewelries and um, if you have time also tattoos what is the islamic uh, injunction on that um jewelry is a, is a good topic uh, in fact the holy quran teaches us that uh, 
let's speak about men first. Yeah. Um, for men, Islam says that they should not use jewelry that is made of gold. They should not wear silk. Um, apart from that, uh, they, they can, Muslim men are allowed to wear rings, for example. Yeah. As long as it is not made of gold, they can wear silver or other form of metal. Correct? Yeah. So, but Islam does limit the men from wearing uh, to get piercings or to wear other types of jewelry. So necklaces, for, necklaces, necklaces. And, you know, some people have about 15 pounds of necklace in their neck, pulling them yeah. down. Exactly. So, so this is an extravagance. This is not permitted for Muslim men. But when, it, when we speak about Muslim women, you know, they have no limit to what jewelry they're allowed to wear. They're allowed to wear gold. They're allowed to wear silk, silver. They're allowed to wear necklaces, rings, earrings. Um, even bracelets. But uh, the Islamic teaching is always of modesty. So we Muslims, both men and women should understand that uh, although they have this permission to wear jewelry, they shouldn't be wearing this as a form of showing off their wealth, as a form of showing off uh, excessively. You know, They should always remain modest and humble and remain true to the teachings of the, the, the Holy Quran and of Islam. You said Muslim men are not allowed to wear gold. However, Muslim women are allowed to wear gold. What, I mean, why the difference? What, what is the motive? Uh, the motive is simple because the women have this right. Uh, they are allowed to adorn themselves. Uh, uh, God Almighty has given the permission to, men, uh, to, to women, but not to men. Again, this is just... Uh, another, if this is another blessing that the women have, you know, people think that the women are oppressed. It's the exact opposite. They have more permissions than the men. Of course, that is a topic that um, we have uh, spoken about, and I believe we might um, take it at a different angle. That is the kind of rights Muslim women enjoy, which Muslim men don't even have, um, you know, anything close to that. However, unfortunately. Uh, people who are not Muslims see Muslim women as oppressed. And um, sometimes as a Muslim man, when I hear them say it and I know what the truth is, I only would pity those who raise those issues. Let's look at tattoos. Um, what is the Islamic um, injunction about it? Does the Holy Quran mention it? Does the Prophet um, speak about it? Tattoo. Is it, is it recommended or is it forbidden? Now, when we speak about tattoos, uh, in Islam, it is prohibited. Uh, the reasoning behind this is that God has said in the Holy Quran that the creation of Allah should not be altered. Now, we as human beings, we have been blessed with this physical body. We have been blessed with health. We have been, we've been blessed with many, many things from God. And our body is, is, is a trust that we have received from God. Now, God says that we should not alter our bodies permanently in any shape or form. So this, this means that one responsibility of us is to, to stay healthy. You yeah. know, we must, in terms of eating, exercising. But it, it, on the other side of this, we have tattoos. We, tattoos are something that are permanent that will stay on the body forever. Although people say that after time they can fade, but that's, that's a different issue. Now, the reasoning behind this, this uh, prohibition is that, you know, if a young man gets a tattoo and what happens is it becomes a sort of an addiction for this person. The, again, the tattoo, why do people get tattoos? 
they, they get tattoos to show it off to people. You know, again, this is going against the Islamic teaching of modesty and to covering up. When one person gets one tattoo, they, they have the desire to have another tattoo and another tattoo. And uh, studies have shown that there's people who are addicted to getting tattoos. Correct? Yeah. So Islam, Islam puts this limit on us to save us from uh, another type of addiction, to save us from extravagantly spending our money into getting tattoos. And Islam saves us and, and again, urges us to stay modest. Thank you very much. And of course, um, we are getting to the end of the program. And um, if somebody has just joined us, I would like you to take us through quickly, at least in the next maybe five, six minutes, what we have said. Just, you know, conclude it and then we, 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 we run up. So uh, in conclusion, uh, Islam presents the philosophy of being modest and decent in terms of the, is the Islamic veil. So Islam teaches us to wear loose covering clothing to cover our, for the Muslim women to cover their, their hair and their chest. And both of these teachings are equal to both men and women, the responsibility of covering themselves. And in addition to this, Islam, what Islam tries to do is, is to create or, or to better this society in general. So if each Muslim men, women are following the teachings correctly, what will happen is the whole society, the whole town, the whole country, the whole world in, in one day will eventually become better and better. So Islam doesn't emphasize on one specific type of clothing, not one specific style. Uh, Islam gives us the liberty of choosing our clothing, but as long as it is modest. Uh, Muslim identity is, is sometimes shown with the beards for men and uh, the veil for women. But uh, these are just part of the Islamic religion. You know, we, we do these things. Muslim men keep the beard because uh, out of the love of the Holy Prophet, uh, Muslim women cover themselves out of the, the love of God. They want to be near God. They want to follow the, the, the commandments he has given us. One important thing you said, of course, during the course of the program is that Islam respects all cultures. And for something to be said uh, to be un-Islamic, it should have a clear dictate in either the Holy Quran or words from the Prophet should have, I mean, uh, forbidden that act. And if nothing about a particular situation or about a particular conduct if nothing is said in the Holy Quran or nothing is said about it um, by the Prophet you cannot simply term it as un-Islamic. So whichever culture a person might belong to, their particular cultural type of dress is acceptable provided it does not, um, you know, portray nudity. And um, of course, we are very much thankful to Imam Abdul Basit, and as I said, he is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community who joined us all the way from Ecuador talking about the Islamic clothing system. Thank you very much, Imam Abdul Basit, and it was a pleasure having you today. And also to my wonderful listeners, until we come your way next time with another interesting episode from the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. It's love for all and hatred for none. 
السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ